Happy Tuesday afternoon and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, it's two Tuesdays away from Election Day 2022. The races have heated up. People are paying attention, not just us wonks on the inside. And we're here. We're talking to someone who has a whole slate of not levers, but bubbles he wants you to fill in on Election Day in two weeks. Hello to Roger Sensorik. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. And Roger is the policy and communications chief for the Working Families Party. They're all over the country. They've been growing in, in Connecticut. And uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you have two weeks. Um, your Working Families Party generally does not run your own candidates, with some exceptions. Like mm-hmm. we had a candidate for mayor here twice who was not on the other t- ballot lines in, in November. But in general, you endorse Democrats who align with a kind of labor-oriented, fair to say, progressive agenda? Mostly Democrats. Occasionally we have endorsed Republicans in the past, but that's Have you endorsed any Republicans pretty in Connecticut? Yeah, <laughs> pretty exceptional, but it has happened. In the and independents, right? And independents, yes. So and who, we have people running on our ballot line uh, separately as well sometimes. And your goal is, and that's been an ongoing uh, debate on the left since I've been alive, you know, it's like do you work within the Democratic Party to push it to the left? Or do you go independent or do you risk, you know, electing people you think are worse by having third-party candidates, right? And in general, with some exceptions, you you come down on the side of uh, endorsed progressive Democrats. Yeah, the good thing about Connecticut is that we have fusion voting, meaning that a candidate can be more than one ballot right. line uh, on election time. So when we endorse a candidate, they appear both in the Democratic Party line and on the working families. And in Connecticut, on statewide elections particularly, Democrats like to get on your line to get those extra votes, and Republicans like to get on the independent party line, which now has changed. They've gotten less conservative. They endorse people from both parties in their own candidates now. So you guys are sort of the main game in town for, for those extra endorsements. How many uh, votes did you bring in the last governor's race? Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was close to 20,000. And uh, what was the margin? Uh, a bit above that. Uh, we got... Uh, almost two percent after about. Uh, in other uh, words, uh, that you were more you were more than the margin of victory. The question of would those people have pulled the Democratic line instead, right? Yes. What do you think? Uh, the one thing about us is that we, it, it's not just a matter of the margin of victory. It's the message that voters send by voting on our line. Right. So if you have a candidate that it's both in the working families and the Democratic Party line, and you pull the lever for the working families line. You're telling that candidate that, yes, I like you, but I like you as a working family. So the question for the candidate becomes, well, can I afford to piss these people off because they'll still vote for me because they know where to go on the other line? Or I need those extra votes because that's sometimes more in the margin of victory, as it was for Mm -hmm. the governor's race last time. It was with Malloy, yes. Oh, not with Lamont? No, with Lamont, he he was a bit ahead. Uh, A bit ahead. Yeah, I think a couple of points, but... And what is that message they're sending? If people vote working families, um, as many of us have on certain occasions, if you're voting on the working families line rather than the Democratic line, what are you saying with that vote? Well, we are a party that has very clear priorities. We want to be the party for the multiracial working class in Connecticut. The what? Multiracial working class in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Meaning that we want to put as a priority taxing the rich, for instance, uh, Mm -hmm. expanding health care. Uh, making sure that workers get the respect they deserve at their workplace with stable schedules, mm-hmm. making sure that everyone is included, that we have uh, funding for education that is equitably distributed okay. and so on. We want not just change in the margins, but we want actually real structural change, looking at the root causes 
and helping working families have uh, access to everything they need and actually have a more affordable Connecticut that includes everyone. So, Roger, this uh, in two weeks, let's just suspend the law for a while. In the law, you have to stand, what is it, 90 feet from the uh, ballot box if you're working on Election Day? Mm-hmm. Let's sneak you into the ballot box, okay? <laughs> let's sneak you into the ballot box of the New Haven voter, and let's let you take the pen and fill out the ballot for the voter. What do you want that? No, tell the voter what to do. Where, where do you want their voter to vote? There are 10 ballot lines. Rowie. Uh, row if a. we e, e. Oh, row E, right. You're yeah. row. If they have endorsed, if we have a candidate that we have endorsed, and how do how many do you have? Like, if the whole state Democratic ticket for the statewide offices, right? Governor, all statewide, yeah. And then state rep and state senate in New Haven. You have uh, Looney and Winfield. Yes, uh, quite a few races here in New Haven. Uh, statewide, we have 86 endorsements. Uh, <laughs> so you're pretty likely to see us. Definitely in the governor's race. Definitely in the Attorney General, Secretary of State, all the statewides. Same with uh, Senator Blumenthal. So take the Roe box. Uh, make sure that they know that you're voting them as a And in, in New Haven, I believe you have Gary Winfield for State Senate and Martin Looney. Yes. Do you have all the state reps or do you have anyone you didn't have? Do you have Pat Dillon? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I should have checked the list before coming. And then Congress, you have Rosa DeLauro. We don't have Rosa oh. this session. And why, uh, why is that? Well, she did not apply. Uh, I mean, she's uh, she's in uh, ways and means. Uh, I don't know. Appropriations. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if she's she's incredibly busy. I don't know if her spending priorities differ a bit from working families. Would you say that she is a good representative of working families? You've, you've yeah, we have endor- we have endorsed her in the past. We share a lot of her uh, of her agenda. We share a lot of her values. One of the proposals uh, that we have likely next year at the Capitol. It's basically a bill that she has a sponsor at the national level uh, for a long time. Fair work Which week. one is that? Fair work week. Stable schedules for mm-hmm. uh, for early workers. So we share a lot of her, uh, of her values. Did this, you have anything this to do with year, the fact she did that, not apply. Well, she's running against a Green Party candidate who is for single-payer health care, Medicare for all. She might like that in her heart, but she feels that what's going to pass is something that is a little more of a compromise with the private market. Did that have anything to do with your decision? Well, uh, I mean, it, we did not really make a decision because she did not apply for endorsement. Did the Green Party apply? Uh, no. Okay. So uh, so that's that's that race. And then there's a referendum on the ballot, Roger, mm-hmm. for um, early voting connected. Are you guys taking a stand on that? Yes, and we definitely support it. And why is that? Voting should be easy. <laughs> we want more people to vote. We want to make sure that uh, people that are not available or are not able to vote on a weekday, on a Tuesday in November that might be rainy or they might need uh, to have a late shift or something like that, they should be able to vote before that, be the weekend before, be the week before. We want to make sure that if you want to vote, you can vote and you don't need to build your life around a random day uh, in November that might not work for it. We're talking to Roger Sensorick of the Working Families Party of Connecticut, and it has been growing, hasn't it? Yes. Tell me about that. Like how many members or workers or how do you have what parts of state versus four years ago? So we have been growing in terms of how much support we have from volunteers for people that we mobilize. We have been, or staff has been increasing as well. We have been getting better known, better, uh, more respected at the Capitol. And it's a matter of building a movement. It's a matter of building this kind of, Coalition across the state that actually. So, how many paid staffers and volunteers do you have? Uh, we are six staffers, volunteers. Last time I checked, we 
had this session, I think, over 100. Uh, over 100 volunteers yeah, working these on, elections on these campaigns. And how's it looking? Well, I mean, I think it's a given that Democrats will probably retain the state, House, and Senate, but it's the margin, right? Will they have a supermajority in the Senate? Well, how's it looking to you? Well, we don't trust polls. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know the polls have gotten crazy. I mean, I mean, it used to be, okay, you know, they undercount Republican voters or Trump voters. Now it's hard to tell because such a small percentage of people get reached, in mm-hmm. addition to people not wanting to tell things to pollsters. I think we're going to have a lot of surprises on Tuesday. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, nationally, <laughs> nationally. Nationally, nationally. Uh, nationally, definitely, for sure. Here in the state, margins look good. We we are pretty confident that Democrats are going to keep both houses and polls for top of the ticket look decent. But it's one of those things that until the ele- we are acting like we were five point. I mean, we mm-hmm. always do that. We always like run elections like we are five point. And do you have a, a, a local race in New Haven that particularly interests you? Uh, New Haven, uh, not off the top of my head, to tell the truth. Uh, I mean, we are looking, uh, most of the New Haven races are fairly safe seats as far as, as, as That's true. we are concerned. We are very invested with George Cabrera in Hamden. That it's a- yeah, how's that one looking? Because that one, he won it after losing by very little and then mm-hmm. he came back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, his opponent went to challenge uh, Hayes in the 5th District. Yeah, uh, It's looking good. Uh, there is a lot of good energy in the, when, at the doors. There is, he's a great state senator. He has done a lot for, uh, for his district. But yes, of the New Haven metro area, probably it's the... So I think it's been since the last century or early this century that a Republican has won a congressional races in Connecticut. It was, it was Gary Franks the last or Nancy Johnson? I forget. I don't remember if it was Nancy Johnson. I think she was the last one. Okay, but now there are two races that are in play, correct? The second district, which is Joe Courtney's district in the northeast part of the state, and the northwest part of the state, as you mentioned, George Logan, the former state senator, is taking on Johanna Hayes, and a lot of federal money is pouring into that on both sides. How's that looking, and what's at stake in those? We have been working really close with with Johanna's campaign, and we are fairly confident. Uh, it's, It's a complex district. It has uh, very rural areas in Litchfield County. It has some uh, cities and towns where we have a stronger presence as well. And for what we are seeing regarding volunteers, how excited, uh, excited people are, how people react when we canvass, how people, uh, the polls that we have been seeing, we are confident that she'll pull it off. So nationally, as you know, the conversation has gone back and forth in this year's election season. A couple months ago, especially in August, Trends were very favorable to Democrats of, of the ilk supported by Working Families Party. People were talking about abortion, the Dobbs decision overturning the constitutional right to abortion in the country, and the um, and the, an election integrity that after January 6th hearings, Donald Trump and election deniers seem as extreme. In the last month, <clears throat> man, has that pivoted nationally. All these races that were understood to be easier leaning Democrat are now leaning Republican or toss-ups, including election deniers. Um, like Carrie Lake, who's ahead, um, and not promising to abide by the results of the election. What happened? They're talking about inflation. They're talking about crime, and it's really resonating. The statistics that really got me was that double-digit lead for Democrats among independent women in August and September is now a double-digit lead for Republicans. I mean, that was the fastest flip, and I think it was those ads, right, talking about getting people to talk about inflation and um and crime rather than election integrity and abortion. That's part of it. Uh, a big component as well, it's the price of gas. Uh, 
polls have been tracked the price of gas, same with presidential approval, pretty closely this year. And the last <clears throat> polls that we have been seeing are one week old. They were on the field right before gas started going down again. Unless uh, it has been going uh, down the So you think it's that closely? It's not a general feeling like this because the ads are coming into tour. Like McConnell, the state Senate leader, does not like Donald Trump, did not like the candidates who won the primaries. He tried to stop them. But now that they're the candidates, he's pouring over $100 million, correct? Am I right? Into yes. Uh, ads and targeted races and helping people like Blake Masters and um, and uh, J.D. Vance really have a shot. Yeah, and, and partisanship, it's a very strong force. I mean, there is one thing that you don't like your candidate, but it's still your candidate that's before the other side. Yeah, he and wants to still you president. He wants to always, be majority leader again. But yeah. how do you – so, Roger, yesterday – I mean, on Sunday – National Democrats stopped talking about abortion first and foremost in January 6th. People don't seem to care about it anymore. And they started finally addressing inflation and crime. Well, not crime. How should the working family-style candidate address those issues head on? So the both things are top of the uh top of the line for concerns for voters. And what we have been seeing it's uh, saying it's first of all, inflation it's something that cannot be decoupled from what corporations are doing. Corporations are having record profits. Uh, it looks like uh, in this whole inflation thing has been, in no small part, corporations just jacking up their, their prices because they feel like they can do it. So we have to talk about that. We have to talk about how it's not just inflation, but those at top act- actively, actively jacking up prices in many ways. And regarding crime, I mean, crime, it's it has a lot to do with perception. And what we have been saying uh, for the past few years, it's that it's important. Definitely, it's something that needs uh, that needs to be addressed. Definitely, it's something that we need to look at because crime actually has a bigger impact on those that have the least. It's one of those things that trying to help uh, solve crime and reducing crime it's incredibly regressive. It really helps communities of color. It really helps uh, working families the most, and it needs to be addressed in a global uh, in a global way. So you need to make sure that you have the police ready to solve the hard crimes, ready to deal with uh, things that really endanger the community. But you also need to look beyond that. You need to look on how you address, for instance, mental health issues, how you make sure that you have youth programs that address what provokes crime, what moves uh, what moves kids and gets kids in trouble. You need to get uh, make sure that you have the right responses to the right kind of, uh, of issues, not having the police being the solution for everything. Let me so, read a couple of comments. Harry's talking about the election deniers or Schiff, Pelosi, and Schumer because of 2016. Julia Gambales says, I'm just trying to scroll hers up, I'd rather pay more in gas than have an authoritarian government that disrespects women, the LGBTQI community, the local GOP have serious zero solutions, a lot of complaining. You know, system inflation, I think a lot of that's beyond the control of the parties. I mean, people do say that the necessary spending we did to prevent mass starvation and, and eviction in the did help fan inflation. It happens. It's a cycle. It's happening around the world. There are supply chain issues that drive inflation. There is a war in Ukraine that has a huge impact on energy that's driving up inflation. Some of that's a little hard to talk about. So a lot of the things that are out of control of the government directly. I mean, um, monetary policies and the Federal Reserve sense. And it may, you can make the case that the Federal Reserve was a bit slow responding to that to the increase in prices. But a lot of that is also what happens in the world. Uh, we had a pandemic that disrupted a lot of things. We have China that is still trying to control COVID with lockdowns, meaning that they are still 
disrupting the supply, uh, supply chain when everyone else has moved on. You have the price of gas uh, that has been going up and down and has a huge impact on inflation. You have that big <coughs> raise in housing prices because a lot of people moved, tried to find new places during the pandemic, uh, moving in and out of cities. We had and now the prices are dropping. But Yes. Uh, so, so one issue you brought up, Roger, was you'd like the wealthy to pay more. And working families type Democrats have proposed for years that top income tax rates on the very wealthy, let's say make a million a year, should be over the 6.99 and go to 7.5 the way they are in our neighboring states. Governor Ned Lamont, a Democrat, has taken that off the table. <clears throat> Eight years, Democrats have a strong majority in legislature and can't get that through because the Democratic governor says no. You're endorsing Lamont. How did that factor in? We don't agree with Lamont in everything, but we, first of all, we know that he has been incredibly good in many, many issues. Uh, family leave, raising the minimum wage to $15. But he, didn't he fight that? Wasn't that a compromise? Uh, I mean, it's one of the strongest paid family bills in the country. No, I'm talking about minimum wage. <laughs> minimum wage? No, we asked for 15 inflation adjusted. We got 15 inflation adjusted. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe we will have liked to, uh, the, the number to No, no, in the end he signed it for sure, yeah. Uh, but it's still so one he's of helping the, get your agenda in and you yeah. feel like the Republican would not approve those things. That's for sure. And he has been, he has led in many issues. He has a very strong sense that we need to work, respect workers and that we need to respect the, uh, those, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we build them state forever. I'm just like comparing him to Rosa DeLauro, who actually introduces legislation of the sort that progressive Democrats might get Lamont to sign after some, you know, back and forth. But she didn't seek your endorsement this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, before we let you go, how can people get involved? Oh, ranked choice voting. Are you working on that at all? We support it. Uh, we hope it passes. Uh, as for, well, it's not on the ballot this year. It's going to be next uh, next time if it gets in, requires a constitutional amendment. But yes, it's something that definitely will and why? support. And uh, why? We think that people need to be able to say what really think. Uh, and ranked choice vo uh, voting means that you can really mark candidates by your preference, not just having a binary choice or having like someone that uh, having to vote strategically. You can really put everything on uh, on the ballot right away. Right. So how can people get involved with the Working Families Party in this campaign in the final weeks? So and how can they learn more about what you're doing? So we have a website, uh, <laughs> cityworkingfamilies.org. And they can also text you, if uh, text us if they want to be on our list, just text CT to 30403, uh -huh. and this way they'll get added to, to our text list. They'll be able to send to our mailing list, and we'll be able to, you know, connect them with volunteer opportunities right away. Well, Roger, Sensor, it was so nice to chat with you. Thanks for coming down to tell us about the Work Families Party. Thanks People will be able to hear the show a number of times before the election. Please vote on November 8th, and if you agree with the Work Families Party about a labor-oriented worker agenda... They have a list of candidates they want you to vote for that's easy to find online or, or volunteer for. We're going to take a little break here with the help of the afro Semitic Experience. And then we're going to come back with a candidate who's been endorsed by the Work of Families Party, Attorney General William Tong. So sit tight. Enjoy. I wish I knew how it feel to be free from the, uh, the afro Semitic Experience. And then Attorney General Tong will tell us how he will try to help you feel free. Mm -hmm.